this is Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter uh, live class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And uh, we are currently studying Acts. And last week, <coughs> we uh, got all the way through chapter 16 and uh, stepped into chapter 17 briefly. And I think we read down to chapter 9. Or verse 9 in chapter 17, but I don't think we really uh, thoroughly covered that segment. So what we're going to do today is wade hip deep into chapter 17, and uh, I don't know that we'll finish it or not. We'll see which way it goes and how verbose Clayton Yuck is. So uh, I'm sorry, you were the first guy I looked at when I took the shot. I'll pick on Bill next time, okay? Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, Paul is, uh, well, I'll just read the first section of 17 again. I'm going to start over, and then we'll, we'll hit the stuff that we missed. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews who were uh, persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters, is my translation in the NIV. Uh, there's a really cool old King James translation that... that uh, yet lewd characters of low repute or something like that. Yeah. Usual yeah. Well, <laughs> scumbags is what it should say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, the baser sort. That's what it was. Lewd characters of the baser sort. Uh, uh, you got to love Elizabethan English. Uh, from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a ride in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they had, did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city official, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason was, has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's crees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And I found a commentator that said that that was a bribe, but I prefer to think that it was a civil bond. So, yeah, they're going to give them the money back after the charges are dropped and all that. Because no, every time I've paid a bond, they've given the money back. No, 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 don't think that works that way. Anyway, um, that's, a, that's a bail bondsman deal. It's another thing. That's yeah. the same. It's a, a different thing, different thing, different thing. Are, are you the guy in your family that has to post bond when your, parent, when your relatives go to jail? Just wondering, just wondering if you're the guy they call. Okay, all right, well, are you, are you? Lester, yeah, here we go. Okay. Um, so, details. <laughs> Never. Never. It sounds like some personal stuff. There's a lot of personal stuff. I didn't see that coming, to tell you the truth. Okay, so Paul. Paul is gone through Amphipolis, which is a little village in Lower Macedonia, and uh, Apollonia, which is another little village where they happen to worship Apollo, by the way, predominantly. 
And it, those two cities are on an old Roman road called the Ignatian Way. At least that's the English translation of it. And basically, Alexander the Great had this road built, and it was to tie together east and the west, at least across Greece, you know. And it was to speed up communication of uh, the transfer of armies. It was to speed up communication with uh, all of the, 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 the bureaucracy as he tried to control a wider and wider area. And as a result, this is like an early highway. It's, it's a wide road. It is paved. It uh, has little iron filings in it that give it strength and it doesn't turn into a mud bog on a regular basis. And they maintain it. So Paul... And a lot of Roman roads are still in use and are, you know, you can still see remnants of the ancient Roman structure. They were well built. And so uh, Paul is taking a very uh, uh, traditional route through Greece and he's walking past little villages and going to big ones because he's a snob. That was bait for you, Bill. No, it's not. He's following the will of God. Right. I think there's, well, there, there's a strategy here. He is, he, is, he is passing, he has this new concept, this new idea. He's preaching Christ. They haven't heard of Christ. And so he's being efficient. He's skipping the little villages and walking past uh, because at best he's going to talk to three or four what he wants to do is get to a village that has a, enough Jewish people in it to have a synagogue that has at least 10 families, which was the minimum. And he wants to go preach in that synagogue first and then move out. And if he can convert people in that, that synagogue in those big cities, then those big cities are going to then send out people kind of naturally into the area around them in those little villages that he's walking past are eventually going to get that message and it's going to be a lot more efficient than if he spends time uh, working with that one. So he, he's basically using his time effectively by going to the big cities Work smarter, not harder. first. Yeah. Well, Jesus did it the opposite. Oh, did he? I'm Jesus, not sure he did. Well, Jesus went to small villages and preached and then he went to he went he did go to big ones, but he did preach. He went to he went to small villages because he was hanging out in Galilee teaching those disciples. Hmm. It is amazing to know. I didn't realize that Philip was his most educated disciple. Was he? Because he was with John before Jesus, so he already knew what was going on, where the other disciples weren't sure what was going on. They just knew they were. I think there's a lot of supposition in there, but I'm going to let it go. Um, okay. At least I tell people what I'm guessing. Uh, okay, so as it, he, he speaks uh, scriptures and he teaches Christ and they are persuaded, including a bunch of Greeks, because this is largely, you know, there, there's a bunch of Greeks here. This is Macedonia after all. And uh, a few prominent women. Isn't it interesting they always add the women thing down at the end? Oh, wait, there were women there, too, and they were listening and understood. It's like, it's like Luke's a little surprised. There were women in the group. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes they were even in leadership. It was shocking. Shocking. Jesus had women with him along with his disciples. 
We assume. Yeah. I assume it was one of your words. According to Chosen. Of course, Chosen. Yeah. Well, we know um, Mary was with him. But the Jews were jealous. Okay. He said he was there for three Sabbath days, which by my reckoning, at the very minimum, is two weeks. Two, because Sabbath week, Sabbath week. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, however, and most commentators will say two or three weeks, one of, the, one of those. But when you look in uh, Thessalonians, because Paul wrote two letters to this congregation later after it was established, he refers to uh, funds being given to them by the church in Philippi. They were supported by another church, and I don't think that level of infrastructure would have been there in two weeks. And I suspect, so he's only mentioning Sabbath days. He's not saying how long he was there. And he may have just mentioned three specific Sabbath days where important things happen. You know, Luke only is reporting on the big things. And so I'm guessing, I, I, I personally think that you could say that he was there a bit longer, particularly when he's talking about a significant number, a large number of people uh, being converted. And usually when you, when in the ancient language, when that word, whatever that word is, is translated, we're talking in the hundreds, you know. So if you, you don't convert 100 people in two weeks, at least, not without well, massive intervention of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but I think it's. I think it. That's me. Yeah, pretty much. Um, that I, I. I think it's much more likely that that this was a bit longer. Does it matter in the long run? Not in the least. It's one of those wonderful topics that I like to argue about ad nauseum that have no effect whatsoever on theology. Do you think that he maybe left somebody in charge that? built it stronger after he was gone? Yes, because that's what he does everywhere. <laughs> and we know that from church history, that that's what he does. And often, when specific names are mentioned by Luke, there's a reason that there's a specific name written, because he's writing after the fact, and he's basically saying, that's when that church leader was converted, and that's when that church leader was converted. And usually there's a lot of... Uh, uh, non-canon church history that goes back and sometimes it's just traditions and we don't have solid historical reference for it but there, there's a belief in where those people went and where they taught and, uh, and there's so much of it it had some, most of it has to be true you know it, it just makes sense so people were converted in Thessalonica but the Jews were jealous so they rounded up some bad characters what was the translation again? Please tell me. It sounded oh, lewd fellows of a baser sort. Wicked people. Scumbags. Thugs. It was easy for them to find those people. They found them with Jesus. Go against Jesus. If you use ne'er do wells. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Texas teacher East would be knuckleheads. That, that's, 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 that's the Texas term. They're what? Sus. I don't know that one. Okay. Oh, suspects. Oh. They rounded up a, a, a mob and they came after them, but they weren't home. 
So they grabbed the guy that Paul and Silas were staying with. How rude. Just, you, 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 you open up your doors to the local missionary, and then you get drugged to jail. This is not right. I, my heart goes out to poor, what's his name, Jason? And they dragged him and put him in jail. And we talked about last week how Thessalonica was under the control of the Romans, but the, uh, the local Jewish, I guess, local Thessalonian officials had a certain amount of control to keep the population into control. But it was all about order with them. See, like what I said before, uh, the Romans didn't want any fuss they wanted uh, you to pay your taxes on time, and they didn't want anybody challenging Roman authority, and they wanted the peace of Rome, which is what they like to call it, meaning we have you so crushed down and terrified that you don't do nothing. <laughs> yes. So, so the Thessalonica's job was to maintain that Pax Romana, and having a riot, dragging some preacher out, was going to get the Romans' attention. Oh my goodness, will you people be quiet, is what they're thinking. Hush, just slit his throat in the dark. We don't want this to get out in the street. That's their concern, yeah. right? Yeah, that, that's all, yeah, that was their concern. So they arrest Jason, and they arrest the Christians, not they arrest the victims because there's a big mob and it would be even more of a fuss if they tried to arrest the mob. So they just take the other side in order to shut it down and they do. And it works. They removed the cause of the problem. It's kind of like that. I feel sad to say that as a teacher in controlling a classroom and in breaking up little fusses in hallways, I have often done much the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I grab the kid that's being picked on and I remove him from the hallway. <laughs> I don't deal with the three thugs that are pushing him around like I should, but I need it. I, 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 uh, huh? I've been punched once. Anyway, uh, no, I'm not, but that's the quickest way to solve the issue. Or you you know, it. and it protects the, the kid. So. And it gives them a reputation of being the bad one, so it's probably a good thing for them. It's not them. good for me. No. Oh, for the, for the kid, you mean? Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, Bill. It's kind of like when I was in elementary school with Mr. Boone. We had bullies that picked on us after school and on the way to school and took our lunch and our money and, and, and lunch money and our lunches. And his deal, the way he settled it was he said, just toughen up, kid. That was, that was the way he, that's the way, that's the way that, that Mr. Boone handled it. He said, toughen up, kid. I'm sorry, Bill. Somebody stole your lunch money on the way home from school. No, they didn't. That is so funny. <laughs> They would wait at they'd wait in the morning and they'd steal they'd steal our lunches and our lunch money. Then on the way home they would if we didn't give it to them if we didn't give it to them they would they'd beat us up on the way home in the afternoon. I was on a donkey today. Tell us about it. But anyway, that's just that's the way his rules were. Just toughen up, kid. Just let them beat you up and toughen you up. That's you know, it. That was you get out of school early, you hide along the way home, you get a rock, 
and you hit them in the back of the head with a rock before they see you coming. No, I, and then it's all even when you have the fight. No, because I already got in trouble with that because he was chasing me down an alley and was about to catch me and I, I picked up a, a piece of stick or something and I threw it over my shoulder and it hit him in the head and who do you think got in trouble? Yeah. Okay, I have to admit, to be fair, I was bigger than most kids I knew, so, you know, there was probably a difference, but anyway. Okay, moving on. That's kind of the way Paul's doing it here, he said, toughen it up. <laughs> yeah. Bill, I teach a trauma class every second Wednesday. Yeah, you should check out his class, it's nice. I go, I don't have no trauma. But, but, but you should go. should go. I don't have any trauma at all. I, I am the most normal person in that room. Including Yak, by the way. <laughs> okay, okay. So, we were studying scripture, right? Uh, I lost my track. And, um, and, so, and so they, uh, they, they let Jason out with bond. And so the, the, the authorities move in. So, verse 10. This is where we left off last week. As soon as it was night... The brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So they snuck them out of town in order to get the heat off their back, which makes a certain amount of sense. They had to do that a lot with Paul, like lay him down. And Paul him. has snuck out of town on more than one occasion. Yeah. He's, he's, I would expect he'd be good at it after a while and kind of know. He, he, he went out in a basket in one and he snuck out in the dark and yeah. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue in Berea. And Berea is like 30 miles down the same uh, Roman road uh, from Thessalonica. Now, the Bereans were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Oh, they mentioned the women before the men that time too. Interesting, which tells me that there's more of them. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God to Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Oh, those troublemakers and ne'er-do-wells. In every church you have them. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast. They said, oh no, the bad guys are here. We're shipping you out of town again before he could even get going. But Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea and the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Paul and Silas to join as soon as possible. Okay, I have a question. Uh, I've got lots of questions in this passage. Yes? Okay, why was it just Paul stirred up the people and, they, and Silas and them were there preaching the same thing that Paul was preaching but nobody's getting upset at them? Well, my, 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 my guess is that because Paul's name is always mentioned first when, when Luke refers to them, Paul is the one in charge and Paul is the face man. He is the one doing all the preaching. Silas is the guy with the, the, the offering plate. He's the guy that's it's checking. Okay. He's the, yeah, yeah, he's... He's the he's the he's the background guy. He's the teacher that's following up on everything, and you know, and so Paul is is doing the big stuff, and, and Silas is handling details. 
And so Paul preaches to the Bereans, and then when they kick him out of town, what they didn't, they're converted at this point. Paul's done his job. All we need to do is organize this church and figure out who the new leadership is and so on and so forth. And that's a Silas and Timothy thing. He's got to do the paperwork. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. You know, and so I think, and I think because it was so rushed, they stay. Because I think it's weird that they ship him probably out on a ship all the way to Athens. This is, this is a pretty big drive, a, a, a trip. And once he gets there, the first thing Paul wants to do is, you better send Silas along with me. You know, he, he should be done over there by now, right? You know, I think, I, I, shouldn't they know to follow him anyway? I mean, I, I don't know why he suddenly needs them to take off so quickly. So there was a reason they had to stay there, and I assume it's infrastructure. Okay, the Bereans. So he's been preaching to Thessalonica, and it's made all of the traditional Jewish leaders angry because it's a challenge to their authority. And they recruited a mob to run him out of town. He gets to Berea, and they say, that's really interesting. You refer to something in the Old Testament? I've read that in the Old Testament. Wait, are you quoting that right? And they go and they look it all up. They don't get angry. They have a visiting teacher, and they check his facts. Which is what we're supposed to do. No, we're supposed to watch YouTube and believe everything on it. <laughs> Only when it's Skip Herzog. I like him. Anyway, um, so these guys are checking everything that he says, and there's not a lot of controversy. When there's something that's different that they, you know, don't understand, they look it up. He's referring to places where the Messiah was, I assume, was, was was prophesied in the Old Testament. They're looking it up in the Old Testament and go, you know, you think you got a point here. Oh. And they're, 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 they're checking everything that he says. And when you get a book, uh, you know, with, with somebody making strange claims in theology, I think you should read the book. I have so many books of weird theology. But you should go back and check where they got that idea and what is the scripture and is there any validity to it? We get to make that decision all on our own. We don't have to have a mob to enforce our point. I think, you know, violence is the, 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 the last stage of a failed uh, a negotiation. Uh, you know, uh, well, why come in with thugs? That's just telling people that, you know, I think he might be right and I might be losing, so I'm going to beat him up so that I don't have to lose. So violence is not the desired first step? No, no, violence is not. Violence is not the first desired step in a negotiation. And uh, what was it Nietzsche said? War is the last stage of diplomacy? You know, it, that's true. You know, it's, it's, it, it, diplomacy is the early stages of war. So you need to be careful about what you say when you're doing your talking. Uh, that's what these Bereans are doing. They're keeping it at the, at the intellectual level. And yeah, they're uh, making sure he makes sense. I'm assuming 
probably reading from Isaiah if he's reading the prophecies of Christ. But in this case, he's not giving us specifics of references. Right, right. But they are checking his facts. But mine has two notes on the side. It says it was those people that troublemakers that came. They were opposers and busybodies. Opposers and bu I love your Bible. It's, I really should. I really should get a copy. And, and work off it. And then I can make fun of it ahead of time before you start referring to it. <laughs> um, I also think so another thing can be taken away from these two instances. Uh, Paul is speaking to people that are, well, it's a mix of Jews and Greeks, so there are some Jewish background there. And he is not, he is, he is taking an intellectual, thoughtful, debate-driven, for the lack of a better term, argument. It's a, a logical progression from scripture to, to Christ. He's not saying, you bunch of heathens, you better believe or you're going to rot in hell. It's not an emotional appeal. It's a thoughtful appeal. Do you think it's strange that more Greeks accepted his message than Jews? No, I don't think it's strange. Greeks were trained to an intellectual response. You, Greeks revered logic. The, the, the basic terms of, 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 of traditional logic in college all came from Greek writing. A is A. You know, the thing is what it is. The thing is not something that it is not. Logic and philosophy. Yes, and it all starts there, and they, they kind of invented philosophy as far as written philosophy goes. And so this is, this is Greeks in their element, and Paul is hitting them where they are. He knows Greeks and he is approaching the Greeks the way Greeks want to be approached. I become authentic. Yes. Uh, you know, and I've had so many preachers that come in and it's all emotional. <laughs> Never mind trying to figure out what that says. Just embrace Jesus. You know, I, I, I have a hard time with that, that, that appeal. You know, don't try to figure it out now. Just feel the Holy Spirit. But if you, if you make a decision based on if you make a decision based on emotion, you will leave that decision when another emotion comes up. If you let your emotions rule, you will be ruled by your emotions. But the Holy Spirit is what drives all of your that, and so you have to you have to embrace the Holy Spirit first and figure it out later. Speak in tongues now. Figure it out later. One of the points of our fundamental truth is same with God. God is not asked to give us realize. And you have to say like atmosphere and realm and a lot of buzzwords. Oh, you do. Yeah. Buzzwords are important. Okay. Okay. Realms. Really? <laughs> what books are you reading? Okay. that's part of the emotional. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, well, I get, I, and that is my point. I, I think that sometimes we take a much more of an emotional appeal to our audience when a different approach would be better. Yeah. Well, I've been a pastor and a preacher. You get them to cry, you got them. I mean, there's truth to it. Okay. Yeah. Same in counseling. My job to get you, my, when you come to my counseling office, my job to get you to cry. 
people say that, and I need to check that. But no, I mean, it's not that emotion is completely taken out of it, because we are creatures. You would need a rock to make me cry. I'm sorry. You couldn't touch me. I've cried twice in my life. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I cried twice this morning. How many Yes, we are. At least half I am. Wanna be? Half our brain is logic. Think half I am. our brain is emotion. Hope I am. If if you're only logic, you become dry and you know almost legalistic. If yeah, you only rely so. on emotion, you go back and forth. But you know, just having a balance. Of yeah, you have a balance of logic and emotion. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're Spock. Yeah. Well, you know, well yeah. God created us. I like Spock. As both. Like yeah, but he's only logic. But I mean, and I've seen a lot of people who only go by emotion in their spiritual walk, but then when the bad time hat, if, 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 if crisis hits or a bad storm hits their life, well, you go, if, you're, if you're ruled by your emotions so easily, those emotions are going to lead you away from Christ. Yes. That's why we have to be careful about just the emotional appeals. Mm -hmm. Those who live by emotion die by emotion. So are we not supposed to have emotion? No, no, no. It's, it's a balance. You need both. You need both. Well... Paul is looking at his audience and he is structuring his appeal to meet his audience. And this particular audience is going to respond to a logical study of scripture more than others. Yes. So he becomes logic when he's up there. When he's talking to an audience that is receptive to that. And I think it's interesting that uh, the Assembly of God refers to the uh, minister's program as the Berean program because of the reference to them uh, back checking, uh, back checking all the references as you went. So, I thought, yeah. it, was so, they, I thought I, it was so they know that they're troublemakers in churches. <laughs> You're gonna let it go. That's another, That's another trauma. It's letting it go. I actually heard a preacher get up in front of people and said this was not a positive thing. He said, I do not want you as my congregation checked about everything I say. I take that as a personal insult. Wow. And you know the person here? You know the person. I do? Yeah, like a weird Berean Bible checker. I'll refer to him. Yeah, yeah. We that's hilarious. Yeah, he believed that. He said, he says, I will be personally insulted if I find out after one of my sermons you checking out scriptures, check me out. That is the authority well, of the pastor. So All oh, good. So <laughs> he's worried. No, he's worried to get checked. <laughs> There's prideful preachers. There are. <laughs> Nobody's listening. I don't have to this is on tape. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But sure. I didn't say a name. Yeah, I did. Did you say the name? He yeah. did. And I no, no. told him not to. I'll, I'll, raise, I'll raise it later. Yeah. Wait, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> so I, nobody who passed it here. I don't. It's not gossip if you know him, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone there. I, I just said. But that's, that's actually more prevalent because have, there's some prideful pastors and you just listen to me and trust me. That's true. And I think that's... Uh, now Colt started. 
every TV well, available. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's the beginning of a very, yeah. very slippery slope. And I think the first time you hear that, all of your red flags need to go up. Well, and, and, and I, don't, well, I don't trust anybody that says, oh, don't check me by scripture. If, if, you, if you're preaching truth and the Bible, you shouldn't care if someone's checking no. it. They shouldn't line no. up. no. And Paul didn't, uh, you know, and, and yeah. he's perfectly good with them sitting there back-checking everything he said. my point. Because, oh, by the way, Paul did his homework, you know? So, okay. Plus he's being led by the Holy Spirit. That helped too. Which brings us, in the last 15 minutes of this class, <laughs> to Athens. We're not going to get through this. Uh, I'm going to read it down to verse 21, and we're going to stop and see if we can debrief that. And then, with any luck, we will get to 23, but we're not going to go beyond that. We don't have time, uh, because his, his, his sermon is going to take some work. Uh, 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and he had to take a boat to get there, by the way, and uh, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, two very different things, began to dispute with him. Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas, said Luke in quotes to the reader. Yeah. So it's very, I feel, I feel serious judgment in what Luke just said <laughs> there, you know. And so, and so backing up a bit, Athens, <clears throat> 400 years before Paul, Athens was the intellectual center of the Western world. When Greek, when Alexander was marching across Asia, and the Greeks ruled the world, uh, Athens was the center of philosophical thought. It's they had uh, whatever their version of a college would be was there. It was the beginning of upper education. Uh, they were gathering books. There were, there were philosophers and things that they valued in Greek society would gather there. And that's where you went to get your education. And, uh, and, and all of the great minds of Greece gathered, and they would talk to each other. There were lectures, basically. They invented the concept of lecture. And so some teacher would stand up in one end, and everybody would listen to him. And then another teacher would stand up, and everybody would listen to him. And then we'd start writing things down, and it was the beginning of intellectualism. And uh, the Greeks respected that, and they uh, supported it. And Athens became a, a major city, and it had basically school after school after school. All of the big minds in Athens ended up having their own little group of followers who would support him, and they set up these little schools that all worked together. 
And uh, there was always some kind of discussion. And a lot of it had to do with gods because you can't separate intellectualism from theology as much as you might try. And all of these teachers worship one Greek god or another and often their, 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 their personal philosophy reflected how they saw that particular deity. And so they, they might be both a teacher and a priest, depending on which God they served and where they were. And so there were all kinds of statues and temples and altars to the Greek gods. There were 12 major gods, something like 32 lesser gods, and then hundreds of other gods that kind of fall underneath those. And if you have a foreign god and you worship them and you come into Greeks, the Greeks will just shrug because, you know, we've already got 300 gods. We've really got no problem with bringing one in. You know, what's oh, one more? Okay, yeah, what's one more? In fact, I, in fact, they would even have this thing where you've got this god that has three faces. Well, that sounds a whole lot like the three fates in Greek mythology. So I think your god with the three faces might actually be my god with the three fates, but just, you know, translated for your culture. And they would tie gods together that were kind of similar. That's horse. I don't know. Oh, cow? Centaur. Oh, oh, the bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's what Athens is, was 400 years before Paul. But that was 400 years ago. Uh, Greece has been utterly destroyed by Rome at this point and overrun a couple of times by foreign powers. And now Rome's in charge of all of Greece. And Rome, by the way, stole all their gods and renamed them. You know, so so we've got a basically a copied set of the Roman of the Greek gods that we're now worshiping in Rome. They copied a lot of the Greek. Culture. They did. The, 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 the Greek culture was powerful, and a lot of it still translated. A lot of the Western world came out of Greek culture. Democracy is a Greek concept. And you know, yes. I'm not sure. Maybe I, I didn't. I didn't. Stu- I don't. I don't know where the beginnings of money yeah, are. But but you know, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So Athens has fallen. It doesn't have the political power it used to. However, the Romans, because they are so Greeked, you know, culturally. They had set up Athens as a free state, they called it. So they're still under Roman thrall. They're still a Roman governor, but they weren't taxing Athens like they taxed Jerusalem. They weren't taxing Athens like everybody else. So if you uh, were a professor in the, the, the university or whatever, you didn't have to pay the same tributes to Rome that the priests in the temple in Jerusalem had to pay. 
And I would even, I'm not entirely sure of the details, but if you were a businessman in Athens, I assume you wouldn't have to pay the same uh, rate. And as a result, your prices would probably be cheaper and it would be something like a duty-free port. Does that make sense? And so commerce was probably beefed up in Athens because it was a free state. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it kind of turned into this intellectual center. They still had their college. They still had a little bit of moral control because of these gods that they had because they were kind of god headquarters central for, for Rome or sort of. And they also had decent commerce, but they didn't have any political power and they didn't have any military power. Uh, and, and remember, it's 400 years ago is when they were at their height. The difference of 400 years is us to the pilgrims. Think about how long that is. You know, it, it has been four centuries since Athens has seen uh, its old glory. So it's kind of just another big town in Rome. Make sense? Okay. And I just lost half my class and I was just lecturing on Athens. Uh, Paul walks in and instead of saying, oh wow, look at these beautiful big buildings, he's looking at all the statues. There's a lot of statues. There was uh, one traveler said it's easier to find a god in Athens than a man. Because <laughs> uh, he, he walked through and it was semi-deserted and there's, there's, stat there's four statues in every corner, you know. And there's all this elaborate sculpture and they're all to different Greek and Roman gods and foreign gods and whatever. And so Paul walks through and he's not looking at the facade of the city. He's looking at its depravity. He's looking at the paganness of it. And he is just kind of overwhelmed by how godless it is. But at the same time, they're seekers. They're all religious. They're all following gods, but the wrong ones. It's like they're hunting for God, but they're lost and they haven't found him. There wasn't a looking at that in anger, how dare the city be. It right. It's compassion. Yes. Um, and so I'm running out of time, so I'm going to make this one point. 600 years before Paul, way back at the beginnings of Athens, uh, there was a plague. During like Babylonian? I, 600 years before Paul, I don't know what year that is. Uh, I wrote it down at six, what I figured out. So uh, there, was, there was a plague, and I, I didn't write down the guy's name, but there was a, a Greek that lived there who was trying to defeat the plague. And so he takes a huge flock of sheep <clears throat> to offer a sacrifice to the gods of Greece so that they could uh, lift this plague off the people. And so, but he doesn't know which god he has to appease. He doesn't know where the plague is coming from. So here's his plan. He takes all his shepherds and they run the sheep randomly through the city. And anywhere a sheep gets tired of walking and lays down, they take that sheep and look at the nearest temple and they sacrifice that sheep to a temple, to, to that God. And then they go down the road and if sheep lays down over there, we sacrifice him to that God. And so all the gods of Athens got sacrifices. And then there was these sheep who just wandered down an alley where there wasn't anything and they laid down. Well, that's rather confusing because who do you 
sacrifice the sheep to. Obviously, there's a God down that alley that wants sacrifice. So they sacrifice that animal and they sacrifice it to the unknown God, the God that I don't know. So they there's some, yeah, there's some guy here. There's a God here. Don't know which one you are. Maybe you're from, I don't know, some other city and we don't got you. I, I don't want to offend you, weird God that I've never heard of before. But I, here's your sacrifice. And they would put a marker there saying, unknown God. And then they came back later and they built those monuments up. And usually they were altars. They weren't whole temples. They were just altars. And so all throughout Athens during Paul's day, there were a bunch of these still around because they were all built at the same time. And they were built during that plague. But there were dozens of unknown God altars. Did the plague stop? I don't know. <laughs> um, but they were 200 years old then. And so, you know, the story was old then. And uh, now there's one of these still exists in a museum in Athens. And they, stood, they have one of those altars. So they know exactly what they look like. But they had some stonemason earning a good living for about six months, cranking out these altars to the unknown God, you know. Uh, anyway, that's, that's what Paul is looking at as he comes in. He's got altars to unknown gods. He's got altars to gods that aren't Greek. He's got, he's, there are temples to the Greek gods. We have big temples to the Big 12, smaller temples to the other 32, and then little, little stuff everywhere, little statues, you know. In the Gospels, there was a, uh, or actually it was Paul, he came across a magician. There was actually a statue to that magician in, in Athens at one point, uh, you know, because people were, were worshiping him two generations after he passed away. So, you know, it's like there were statues to people. Uh, 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 Caesars declared themselves God, and they built statues to them, and they got, they got sacrifices too. They were big on giving sacrifices in Greece. They seem desperate. Yes, it is. Very. And people would ask, you know, which one God do you worship? And their response is, well, what do you want? Any of them that'll do anything for us, basically. Yeah, well, what, what do you want? Right. There's a God for everything. Right. So you have, to, you have to go worship and give sacrifice to the one that gives what you want. And it's all hocus pocus, basically, because they're, they're trying to manipulate God right. into behaving or working for you rather than the other way around. And that is my setup on Athens. And we are going to, did I cover the babbler thing? I didn't, did I? We didn't even get to this. Ah, okay, I'm stopping at 16. It's all warmed up and we're gonna come back. I'm gonna talk about the two philosophers and what they were up to. There's still a lot in there that we haven't covered. All right, uh, goodbye, Internet, and I apologize to anybody I've insulted by. I just didn't want to figure out. <laughs>